Welcome back, friends. Lascar here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about everything that has to do with Kirby from the beginning to the present. And today, we're going to talk about Kirby's Right Back at you, episode number 34. If you have any comments about this episode, or any others, you can put them up on the YouTube version's comments, or send them to at Kirby Dreamcast on Twitter. So the news right now mostly has to do with Dreamy Gear Kirby being out in Japan. Lucky Japan, I really wish I could get it. Nothing new as far as games go, but there's another anniversary of this podcast, and that is Kirby and the Amazing Mirror. It came out 16 years ago in Japan on April 15th, 2004 in Japan, July 2nd, 2004 in the EU, October 18th, 2004 in the US, and December 2004 in Australia. This is a really fun game that I can't wait to cover in the future. And where we're at right now is it's going to be Toy Box Kirby next, and that's going to be an interesting one to do because I don't think anyone even knows that game exists for the most part. So today we're covering episode 34 of Kirby's Right Back At You, titled A Recipe for Disaster. That's the US title. In Japan, it is titled Kyokyoku Tetsujin Koku Osaka, which is translated to Ultimate Iron Chef Chef Osaka. It aired on February 15th, 2003 in the US, and June 1st, 2002 in Japan. It's interesting they reference Iron Chef in this episode and have something similar to it in the episode, but much to my disappointment, it's not really an Iron Chef episode, which could have been really cool. And something I don't think I mentioned before is Chef Osaka is the Japanese name for Chef Shiitake, which we saw back in episode 10. So Osaka, of course, is a, well, reference to the city in Japan, Osaka. And before we start, last time, so, not last time, but in episode 10 we talked about Chef Kawasaki, but not Chef Shiitake. So this time I'm going to tell you about Chef Shiitake and his voice actors. And they are, the Japanese voice actor is Junichi Sugawara who has done work in anime, film, video games, and dubbing over live-action movies for 34 years. This dude has been active for a very long time, and despite being in, in it for so long, he's never been any real major characters. It's always various voices, or side characters, or minor characters, or just people in the background. Nothing major. Like, he dubs over just whatever random voices in movies as well. It's just, he's never gotten, like, a big voice break, which is unfortunate. But he's been in a lot of stuff. Very prolific. Now, the U.S. voice actor is Mike Pollack, and you might recognize him because we mentioned him before. He's been doing voice work since 2000, and he's the voice of Samo and Mayor Lem Blundergast in the, in the Kirby anime. His most notable voice, though, is Dr. Eggman. Once you hear that, you, you're like, oh, look, right, he is Dr. Eggman. He is Dr. Robotnik. He's been Dr. Eggman since 2003. So from Sonic X and on, it has been this guy voicing Dr. Eggman. So, of course, he's in Sonic Boom. Like I said, Sonic X, the Sonic game, that's him. That is the guy. And this is one of his first voices going on. So that's pretty cool right there. So the episode starts with Tiff, Tuff, and Kirby walking back to Cappy Town with some supplies on Kirby's back. They want to gather ingredients for Chef Kawasaki. So Kirby decides to play with the river on the way there, and he falls behind. Alone, he gets approached by a familiar figure that makes Kirby gasp in fear. It's Chef Shiitake. He asks Kirby to point him to where Chef Kawasaki's restaurant is, and Kirby obliges, and the chef leaves to Cappy Town. Kirby then freaks out, so the kids run back to him, and Kirby points to Chef Shiitake in the distance, which worries the kids, since they remember that this chef was Popon in episode 11. I said at 10 earlier, episode 11 is this episode. 10 was the Chief Bookham episode. A monster posing as Chef Shiitake, who tried to kill Kirby in episode 11. So this is a weird situation, because the road we see earlier in the scene is a two-way road, which means Tiff and Tuff were on one side, and Chef Shiitake was on the other. So somehow, Chef Shiitake gets to Kirby, 
asks him for directions, gets pointed in direction, which is the same direction as Tiff and Tuff somehow, but they're on the opposite side of the road somehow. Like, Shim Shiitake should be not near Cappy Town and then gets directed to Cappy Town. Tiff and Tuff are heading to Cappy Town and then they're heading to Cappy Town again. Or, let's say, they were heading somewhere else, they were heading away from Cappy Town and then they start heading to Cappy Town because of Shim Shiitake, but that means they should have all ran into each other at some point in this situation. So I don't, just bad, was it, um, art direction? Like, what's the word here? Bad direction? Bad planning? What? I don't know what the word is here, but that's a weird thing to notice. And I only noticed that on, like, the sixth viewing of this episode. I'm like, wait, they're on a two-way street. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. But it is what it is. Alright, so before we move on, um, another thing I mentioned is, again, this is a breaking of Sakurai's rules in the Japanese version. So in the U.S. version, Kirby usually only says Poyo. There are a few rare times when Kirby does not speak Poyo. Like, Fofa, I think, is an exception. That's not He's just saying one word there, too, for the most part. He's just saying names. Names are fine. But there are times when Kirby actually says actual words, but it's a lot more rare in the U.S. version, while in the Japanese version, they do it a lot more. And here, uh, when Kirby freaks out and points at the chef, he says, Osa Poyo, which, of course, means he's saying it's, it's Chef Osaka. And so that's them breaking the rules. And if you don't know what the rules are, the rules are Kirby can't talk and no humans. And in a way, the anime's broken both rules. Because Kirby talks, Kirby says attack name sometimes. And Tiff and Tuff and her family are basically humans. But that was the way to get around that rule right there. Still, bleh, okay. I don't want to be pedantic about that, but I just bring it up every now and then. Just because that was the rules. And it's just interesting for you to know that in case you didn't hear about those rules before in other episodes. So after the awesome opener, we see Chef Kawasaki's lounging at his restaurant. It's another episode where he has no customers. It's a weird inconsistency about Chef Kawasaki. Sometimes his place is bustling, and sometimes he's got nobody there. But the one consistent thing is, everyone thinks his food is terrible. It's just that he's the only restaurant in town. So as he enjoys his newspaper, Chef Shitake comes in, and Chef Kawasaki instantly recognizes him as Popon. Not as his master, but as Popon. So he gets his frying pan, and he attacks him. Chef Shitake, of course, is confused by the attack, but he effectively dodges and blocks the attacks. Then Tiff and Tuff run in, and they attack him too. And we see how great a skillful chef he is, because he is dodging and blocking three different opponents at the same time. Kirby gets ready to jump in, and then as he's doing that, Chef Kosaki calls him a monster, and he yells at them that he's no monster, which makes everyone stop. Tiff, though, isn't convinced, and summarizes episode 11, with flashback viewing uh, videos and everything, about how last time he showed up, he was a monster named Popon who was posing as Shiitake and tried to kill Kirby. So Shiitake pulls out his cooking knife to prove who he is. And Kawasaki sees his master symbol on the knife, and he recognizes him finally as his master. In the Japanese version, it's a little bit longer, where Chef Kawasaki recognizes him after his master does a bunch of knife moves. Of course, this is cut out of the US version, because nobody wants kids to play with knives. I played with knives as a kid. It freaked everyone out. Yeah, they don't want kids playing with knives, so there you go. So Kawasaki asks why he's here, and his master says he wants to see how good his student is. And he notices there's no one there, which is concerning, but then he orders the entire menu for a taste test. And so Kirby has a very, very, very good day, because, of course, if he's ordering the whole menu, you can only taste so much food, so he's going to have a little bit of each food. So who does the food go to after that? That's right, the luckiest boy in the world, Kirby. So we get to see Kirby be very happy as he eats lots and lots of dishes with Chef Shiitake. So t the taste test goes as follows. We see Kawasaki cooking, and then we see some of the dishes. And these dishes are described as sautéed liver, gyoza, ramen, sweet and sour pork, fried rice, omelet, and hot and sour soup. 
In the end, Kirby is extremely happy. We see him rubbing his himself. Like, he's rubbing his face, but I guess it's also him rubbing his tummy. So he's rubbing himself happily because he just had so much great food. And Chef Shiitake tells Kawasaki what he thinks, and unfortunately, it's all awful. All of the food is terrible. He is frustrated with his student because just Ka Chef Kawasaki should be making better food than this. So he takes his frying pan, and then he closes his restaurant by taking away the restaurant's sign. And here's the thing. The Japanese lettering on the sign was airbrushed out in the US version, because of course it was. But for a frame as it's getting taken down, the airbrush fails and we see the, uh, the characters on, on the sign for a moment. It's interesting that they just missed one frame there. So we can still see what was supposed to be there. So Chef Shitake tells him he should be ashamed to serve such lousy food in a place with amazing ingredients all over the place, and leaves. This leaves Kawasaki to sit and cry in shame. And we cut to Kirby happily still sitting at the restaurant because he really enjoyed all that food. Then we cut to the castle and we see Escargoon informing King Dedede that the real Chef Shiitake is in town and they hug in happiness because they're going to have some real good food finally. Then cutting back to Chef Kawasaki, Tiff and Tuff wonder if Shiitake is actually sabotaging him so he can make his own restaurant. But Kawasaki's like, no, he doesn't need any help because he's a famous uh, cook. But then Kawasaki imagines what it would be like and it would be this giant... Huge skyscraper building next to his little restaurant, and the line would be every single cappy in the area. It's just this huge line going into that restaurant. And then Kawasaki would go to the garbage cans of the restaurant for some reason and dig through the trash, and then the window would open uh, next to the trash, and Shitake would be there, and he would yell at him that he needs to learn how to cook or stay away. In the Japanese version, he actually offers him to be a dishwasher instead of yelling at him, which is an interesting difference there. Kawasaki then wakes up from his imagined situation, screaming, which of course worries Kirby. Back with Chef Shiitake, he's looking for a hotel, but then King Dedede and Escargoon show up and welcome him to stay at their castle for food in return, which Chef Shiitake happily accepts and jumps on their tank. Quick cut to later that day, and we now see on everyone's TVs his channel DDD showing Chef Shiitake now has a cooking show to teach everyone how to cook food. So the weird thing is... Visually, it has all the Iron Chef presentation. They have the stage where all the cooking is done, where it's like two, two kitchens. Then they have the stairs going up to the judges, and there's six judges. It's King Dedede, Escargoon, Cerebrum, Ladylike, and Mayor Lem, and his wife, uh, Hana. They're all up there, like it's Iron Chef. But it's a cooking show, like Emerald Show, where he just teaches you how to cook. So it's a weird combination of these two things. I don't know why they did it this way, but they did. So, he's just showing everyone how to cook a duck on TV. Like, he explains how you cook a duck. You see him cut a duck up, you see him uh, cook them on a, on a grill and everything. And so they show just different versions of different people watching this. Uh, Chief Bokum and his wife watching. You see random Cappy's watching. You see Kirby watching at home with Takori, and Takori's actually taking notes. And he says, I think I knew that duck, which is, which is horrible. Just horrible. Uh, in the Japanese version, Takori's just freaking out because they're eating a bird in the first place. He's like, oh, oh, they're eating poultry. Oh, jeez. We then see Chef Shiitake's food getting given to the judges, Iron Chef style, and everyone loves it. Of course they do. And then we see Tiff and Tuff eat some of the food, too, and they know it's good food. And they're trying to figure out, well, how can they support Chef Kawasaki? But Tiff thinks, you know, maybe he's cheating some way, and they plan to find out what it is. It's weird that they think he's cheating somehow, just, they're just trusting he's just a master chef. But it is what it is. Tiff suspects everyone because King Dedede's her king. That's what kind of happens to you. You're going to be paranoid if you have a despot as your king. So then the next morning, 
There's a ton of people surrounding the castle. They want to eat this food too. And Escargoon says, yeah, there's plenty of food. Come on in. Apparently having good food makes King Dedede a good king. So it's all in Chef Kawasaki that King Dedede is such a bad king. <laughs> so they lower the drawbridge and let everyone in. And Kirby's there with Takori and there's all the cappies. And we see everyone eat some food and enjoy it. The Japanese version has a nice touch to it. Because, of course, the U.S. version does their own music, but the Japanese version does, I will call it, I think, an Easter egg or just like a surprise, a homage, something like that. Not a homage. It's an Easter egg, I think is the best way to put it, because I can't think of a better word. When they lower the drawbridge, they actually play the Gourmet Race song. Not the one everyone knows. No, not that one. So there's two songs called the Gourmet Race song, and that's because they're both in the Gourmet Race game. And it's the first one, the one that's in the intro to the game. The one where Kirby's climbing up the mountain to get to the food. It's that song that they play in the anime. Not that... Da, 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 not that one, the other one. <laughs> and it's just a nice touch if you recognize that song. Because it's the more obscure one out of those two. So Kirby's just enjoying more food. The cabbies are enjoying food. We get the Waddle Dee waiters, which is great. The waiter dees. And it's just everyone's having a good time. And so they show Chef Taki uh, cooking some more on TV. And Kawasachi's watching. And then he tells him to come to the castle and learn how to cook. And Kawasaki refuses in anger. Like, Shiitake goes to the camera, says, you watching Kawasaki? And then tells him to come here so you can learn how to cook and help him. And Kawasaki says no. As if, like, they're actually having a conversation. Which, I guess, yeah, what else is Kawasaki gonna do? He knows Kawasaki's restaurant is empty. He knows he closed it. So what else is Kawasaki gonna do but watch the cooking show? So Kawasaki's just like, no, I refuse to be humiliated in this way. Back at the castle, Kirby's just enjoying plate after plate. After plate, it's just so cute watching him eat. And Shiitake decides to take a break and go into the back. The kids think this is suspicious for reasons I don't understand, and they decide to follow him. Kirby sees his friends run off, so Kirby throws his plate onto the top of the pile of plates he has and joins them. And by the way, the plate lands perfectly on top of the other plates, showing just how talented this boy is. It's just odd that they think it's suspicious because he's basically just going on a bathroom break. But they still, they follow him, they follow him back to his room, and then Kawasaki shows up there too. And he says he's decided to accept his master's challenge. What challenge? There is no challenge. By the way, Japanese version, same thing. He decides to accept his challenge. There was no challenge. There was no challenge. And yet he's accepting a challenge. Tough cheers him on, saying, oh, way to, way to go, like, attaboy, kind of thing. But again, there's no challenge. It's, I'm, it's confusing. It's like they had two plans here. Like, they were planning on doing Iron Chef, and then they just didn't do Iron Chef. And stuck with the other version, which is cooking show teaching, because that's what's going to happen later on. So Chef Shiitake comes out of his room, and he sees Kawasaki, he's like, okay, you're here, alright. And then he tells him to uh, buzz off for now, because he's busy on his break. That's the US version. The Japanese version is he tells him to just wait in the room for now, because he's on his break. So both versions he's on his break, but he's meaner in one version than the other. And a little more nonsensical. I think the US version handled it not as well. So... They're all in his room now. Chef Kawasaki's in the room, Tiff, Tuff, and Kirby are in there, and they're just waiting for Shiitake to call Kawasaki over. And of course, they're going to do some snooping, because that's what they do. And they find Master Shiitake's stuff, and the restaurant sign, and the box of Gajira extract. Kawasaki thinks it's just a spice, but the kids think it's a secret ingredient. And they add it to a cup of ramen, everyone smells it, and it smells good to everyone, and they all eat it. And Kirby really enjoys the food, he, eats, he finishes the cup, and this is where we get the noodle cup gif of Kirby that you see on, on the internet. So Chef Shiitake now calls Kawasaki to the stage, so we see him teach him a simple meat and potatoes recipe to his egg-headed student, because he doesn't trust his student at all. And of course, Chef Kawasaki feels a lot of humiliation. 
Tiff and Tuff are mad about this as well, and then Shiitake explains the dish and insults his students some more. While this is happening, Kawasaki decides to sneak in some Gajira extract to the dish while no one's looking. And of course, none of the judges want to eat that food. Nobody wants to touch it. But in the end, Escargoon's made to eat it. And Escargoon enjoys it. By the way, before this, Lady Like mentions that she hopes that Kawasaki didn't mix up sugar and salt again in the dish, in the dishes. It's like, oh, okay, so that's the thing he's messed up. So he's just a bad cook. <laughs> I know they're both white powders, but come on. So Escargoon eats the food and enjoys it. So King Didi decides to eat his dish and then takes Escargoon's dish because of course he did. Everyone thinks, wow, Kawasaki got better. But he says, no, he didn't get better. He just decided to use some Gajira extract. And he exposes his master used it as well. Tiff thinks it's a sign and shows that Gajira extract is an artificial chemical additive. The Japanese version says it's actually a hallucinogenic mushroom extract where you boil a mushroom for the extract. So um, I'll take that version better. That's a better version, the Japanese version. The US version is just kind of caring about it. So after that, everyone, the kids, Chef Kawasaki, the crowd, everybody thinks that Shiitake is a fraud for using this, this additive. And Shiitake just laughs it off and says that all master cooks use chemicals to make their food better, which is not incorrect because chemicals are literally everything. Like, the way the kids put it is they're saying this, like, chemical as if it's a negative word, while as Shiitake uses it as a neutral word, because it is a neutral word. Everything's a chemical. You know what else is a chemical? Water's a chemical. A broth is a mix of chemicals. These are just things. But because of the way just people use words, they see it as a negative thing, but that's not actually what it is. Now, in the Japanese version, he laughs it off because it's a drug, right? So he laughs it off as a drug that you can use to deceive dumb people and make them think bad food is good. So in both versions, he's saying this extract can make bad food taste good, but one is it's a chemical, the other one is a drug. So that's the key thing here is he says it what it is and he says what it can do. But the key thing is he never says that he uses the Gajira extract itself. That's going to be key for the ending. I'm just telling you now because it helps explain the ending and I don't want to go through all this again at the ending. So in disgust, Kawasaki throws the extract at Shiitake saying he's no longer his master and it bounces and Kirby eats the entire box. So at this point... We are three-fourths through this episode, and besides Kirby being really cute, it has been a weirdly designed episode. It is pretty low rank. It's as low as Professor Kuro's episode and Tuff's episode, with him in the woods. These are weak episodes, and this is a weak episode as well. But then this segment, the last couple minutes of this episode, is amazing and makes up for everything in this episode. Kirby with the Gajira extract in his system becomes... Hi, Kirby. In his hallucinogenic state, Kirby smiles and grabs a fork and a knife and looks at everyone with a happy look on his face. Everyone feels fear because they're not sure what this power is. What is the power that Kirby holds? Because they're always dangerous powers after all. And well, he's happy because everyone looks like food now. They're all doomed. Everyone's doomed. Everyone's gonna die now. And I need to describe what everyone looks like from this point on, because of course I need to. Kirby first looks at King Dedede, and he looks like a roast chicken. Then he looks at Escargoon, who looks at like a sautéed, well, Escargot. The mayor and his wife look like hot dogs. And, the, and by the way, I didn't mention, to make it creepier, they still have their facial expressions and faces and everything. It's just on food. It's like a weird food Cronenberg level going on here. So then he looks at Cerebrum, who's a big chocolate eclair. His wife, Lady Like, is an ice cream sundae, like a banana royale sundae. Then Kirby looks at the crowd. Tiff's emoji, 
tubs of chocolate flan. The Waddle Dees and Cappies are onigiri, strawberry cakey, dango, shish kebabs, sausages, a BLT without the B, cappuccino, baguettes, sweet balls, shrimp tempura, a banana, a donut, and a cupcake. Kirby jumps with joy at the sight of all this food. Super cutely, by the way. And then Kirby decides he wants chicken first. So Kirby runs up the stairs at King Dedede with fork and knife in hand, by the way. And also, everyone's lucky he can't suck in high form. Apparently, in high form, Kirby doesn't go for the vacuum ability. All he goes for is the fork and knife. And King Dedede notices this ain't looking good, so he puts Escargoon in the way, and then Escargoon wiggles away from him, and then they both run away together, because they realize Kirby's gonna eat them. <laughs> Eventually, the two run away, and then Kirby chases them, and then Sir Ibram tries to get in the way. He's like, hey, wait, Kirby. And then he realizes, oh no, he wants to eat him too. And so he chases all six judges Scooby-Doo style on stage. By the way, some believe this is a reference to Kirby 64, which was out by this time, where Kirby imagines all his friends as food in the cutscene. And yeah, I tend to believe that could be it for sure. It's possible. And eventually King Diddy and Escargoon get away from the crowd, and Kirby chases them specifically because he still wants that chicken. It's a hilarious side, by the way. I love this so much. We then get a Scooby-Doo hallway scene with the three of them. Kirby chases them across the hallways over and over again. It's really good. And then King Dedede runs into a conveniently placed phone booth. While in check-in form, by the way. And Escargoon crashes into the phone booth trying to get in, in Escargoon form as well. He calls Nightmare Enterprises for an emergency monster summon, and it's gonna cost him extra, but he doesn't care. He needs his life to be not eaten. So a monster gets summoned while they continue to get chased by Kirby back to the stage. And the monster that summoned is named... Cobb Goblin. It's straight up a standing corn on the cob with sunglass eyes, hands, and feet. In the US version, it's a silent monster, while in the Japanese version, it grunts. And the Japanese version is named Morokoshi, which is a combination of corn and, so and sorghum. So, yeah, it's a corn. It's straight up a corn. And all the monsters to summon, this might have been a mistake. And now comes my number one favorite joke of all time. 34 episodes in, this is the best joke. I wonder what's going to top it. I don't know, but I love this joke a lot. Second favorite joke is the Chaco Bar gag from the other week episode, Flower Power. So Kirby's chasing King Dedede and Escargoon on stage, and Cog Goblin jumps in the way. Kirby sees a giant corn, of course, and we get a view of Kirby's version of what he sees. And we see a cooked corn on its side on a plate. And the camera zooms out to show that Kirby's actually laying on his side to get that visual. This is my favorite joke of all time. This is an amazing sight gag. I could not stop laughing. I love that joke so much. I paused the video because I love that joke. Just Kirby sees that, and they thought with the wherewithal to show Kirby on his side to show that Kirby's getting that visual because he did, like, he physically put himself in the position to get that view. I love that so much. It's just great. I, I love it. I just love it. Kirby then happily hops back to his feet and rushes the monster. But this is a monster, of course, so the food fights back. It squashes Kirby. It slaps him a bunch of times, but it doesn't stop Kirby. He keeps rushing at it happily. The pain don't mean nothing when, he, when you're on drugs, I guess. Which is true, by the way. Kids don't do drugs. So it grabs Kirby in its tendrils, which is the hair that Corn has, and it starts squeezing Kirby. Kirby finally drops his fork and knife in pain, and then it opens Kirby's mouth wide and shoots a ton of corn into Kirby's mouth. The corn starts exploding in Kirby's belly, and Kirby's just bouncing around from the explosions inside of himself. So now Kirby knows what it feels like to explode from the inside, just like the monsters Kirby has killed horribly that way. Which at this point is, I think, two monsters. Escargoon and King Dedede, of course, are happily watching this, and Kirby's down for the count. But then Tuff throws Chef Kawasaki's frying pan, and Kirby eats it to become... 
cook, Kirby. Everyone looks around for Midnight, but he's not there. He's busy stuffing his face, so he can't explain this power right now. So Kirby continues his long line of horribly murdering monsters. Kirby throws the frying pan like a boomerang at Cobb Goblin and notices it knocks off some of his flesh. So Kirby gets an idea. He throws it again and it swirls around Cobb Goblin and tears the flesh off this monster. All of this corn comes off of him. Only a couple bits don't come off. Like the face and the part at the top of his head don't come off. And so now a giant pile of corn kernels are on the frying pan and Kirby cooks it up. And he's making popcorn and he's eating the popcorn and then more pops and more pops and then a giant explosion of popcorn happens. The entire stage is filled with popcorn. And Tiff says, does anyone want to see a movie now? Because yeah, there's just a bunch of popcorn now. Japanese version, she's like, she's just over all this in the Japanese version. And of course, Kirby's just happy to have all this popcorn for him. King Diddy angrily eats some of the popcorn because it costs so much money and the popcorn is exploding inside him, so it's still dangerous. And we never learn the fate of Cobb Goblin. He either died from losing so much corn, or he just escaped screaming. We do not know his fate. This is one of the few times when we do not know the fate of a monster. Another one was, of course, we don't know whether the dentist monster died or not. We just saw him get blown away. He might have survived. I headcanon that he did. There's also a honker stomper. He did not die necessarily. He just got knocked away. There's just certain monsters who don't get killed. And this is one of them as far as we know. Although they could have died. They might have bled out. They, they, they probably just ran away screaming, that's for sure. <laughs> Later that day, Shiitake gives Kawasaki's restaurant sign back, and he hopes that when he returns, his student will have improved in his cooking. Kawasaki asks if his master really used Gajira extract, and he said of course not! It was for Kawasaki to add to his cooking set, because a chef should always use everything at their disposal to create their cuisine. This would be like a safety net for him with the Gajira extract, because it could recover bad dishes. Kawasaki asks about his reputation, though, and he says as long as the student learns something, that doesn't matter. And he walks away, with Tuff thinking he's cool now. Shiitake then says one last thing before he leaves, and that is not to worry, though, since he'll, he already has someone who loves his cooking, and the camera zooms in on Kirby. The show ends with Kirby happily waving goodbye to Chef Shiitake as some popcorn pops inside of him, because he's still eating it, of course. So, this ending is, a, and the whole plot is weird. And the Japanese version isn't much better, but it's a little bit better if you paid attention to the wording, and that in the Japanese version, he says the Gajira extract was just a souvenir he was going to give Kawasaki as a present. That's it. The lesson he was going to teach him was that a little bit of things can affect the taste in food in a big way. Like, if you just add a little bit of spice, it'll make something better. Gajira extract, which is a drug, you add a little bit, and it could recover some bad dishes. That was what he just wanted to teach him. And hopefully he would learn from there not just using Gajira extract, but just other ingredients, like maybe salt to a dish, to make it better. That's the thing. The most popular ingredient, the most popular way to improve a dish is salt. That is the one. That is the one that is done for a lot of things. And we learned that hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago, that salt is the way to go. That is the most popular spice. That is the most popular additive to make a dish better, if you want to word as additive. At this point in history... It's, salt, it's used so much, it's just an ingredient and not a, you know, just a way to improve something. But his whole lesson is just like small things can make things better. But of course, big amounts can be dangerous. And an example you can also take from real life is nutmeg. Nutmeg is something that people use in small doses to make food better. But it is very dangerous to humans in large quantities. I'm not like, I think it's like two tablespoons, I think it is, is dangerous to humans. That much. So it's not, it's not like it's... A ton. Like, cinnamon. Like, a, you need, like, a crap ton of cinnamon to really hurt you. You need a crap ton of lot of ingredients to really hurt you. But nutmeg, only two tablespoons, if I remember correctly, is all you need to really mess someone up. So, there's a lesson there. 
but it's very poorly done in both versions, and it's unfortunate, so it makes this one of the weaker episodes. Arguably, this is the weakest episode in both versions of the anime. The only thing that makes it better, of course, is, well, my favorite jokes. That whole food scene makes it better. Like, it was a poor knockoff of Iron Chef, just a poor plot to revolve around. It's just not very good. And so it's around the bottom of the list. It's not last place, though. Professor Kuro's episode, which is episode 8, which is called Kuro's Curious Discovery, weakest episode. It's still got some good action in it, but it's the weakest episode of the show so far. Second weakest is Flower Power, which is Tuff's episode, where it's him in the woods and everything, and the only thing that redeems it is that Chocobar joke. I like that Chocobar joke, and also the monster fight's not so bad, uh, Meta Knight's in there too, so there's some stuff in there, but it's a weak episode. That's episode 18. This one, episode 34, is in third place. But thankfully, episode 8, 18, and 34, you can see they're not that common. Most episodes are pretty good. There's a couple of great, amazing episodes. There's maybe, I'd say maybe three or four okay episodes, but these are the weakest ones right here. So thankfully, they're not that common. So next episode will be two episodes combined. It's going to be episodes 35 and 36. That's right, it's the first two-parter. So it's going to be a much longer episode. I considered maybe doing, we just do to be continued, but no, we're just going to combine into one big episode. So it's going to be much longer, and it'll take either two or three weeks to do, depending on time, because that's going to take some time to work on. So that right there is our Kirby's Dreamcast. Recommend us to your friends so more people can enjoy us. I just, we're going to do everything Kirby. Every single subject about Kirby is going to get covered in this this podcast over the next couple years. And the more people enjoy it, the better it is for all of us, because it's just fun, right? So that's the podcast. I had fun. Hope you had fun, too. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time. (laughs) 